Welcome to Real Talk, Secrets to Success, a place where we get real advice from industry insiders on how to make it in the movie business. For our very first episode, I'll be chatting with Eric Bradour, an editor and producer. He's worked on both independent and big studio films, including the latest Transformers. He also funded, along with his business partner, Exit 44 Entertainment, a production company under which they write and produce feature films and episodic series, as well as represent projects for film sales. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Hello, Zabby. How are you today? Doing great. I was thinking we can start today with, you can tell us a little bit about what it is you've done, what your experience is in the industry, and just going over some of maybe your major things that you've loved the most about your experience while you're going through it. So this is where you want like a snapshot of everything? Yeah. Sounds like, okay. So now I started off working independent features, you know, super low, low budget stuff, you know, the range of, you know, $100,000, $200,000 films and, you know, worked as an editor on those. And um, some of them uh, did well in the festival circuit. There's one in particular called Philly Brown that I uh, had edited. It went to Sundance in 2012 and it didn't take home any uh, Sundance awards, but it was, but it was, you know, it was a, it was a popular film there and it sort of launched the the career of, uh, of our actress, uh, Gina Rodriguez on there. And she went on to star in Jane Virgin's been on a bunch of other, you know, features and whatnot. Um, and then I had also at the same year had uh, assisted edited on a feature called the sessions with Helen Hunts and uh, Jonathan Hawks. And that actually won the uh, audience, the audience award at Sundance that year. Um, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun to be at Sundance and it was a lot of fun to work on those films. And then uh, from there, you know, I sort of uh, realized though, that um, if I was going to, really be able to support myself and my family, make any money. I wasn't going to be able to do it working non-union, uh, small in, indie films like that. So I started working on what I needed to do to get into the union, which would be the editor's guild in this case. And, um, what was required to make the leap from, you know, little indie films where, you know, uh, there was no studio oversight and it was just sort of catch as catch can versus how do you start to meet the people, uh, that you need to, to get work. And so, um, and I didn't really have the answer. I wasn't sure. I was a member of different filmmaking groups like Film Independent and didn't, uh, and that really wasn't geared toward people in editorial. Um, They kind of tried hard, but I didn't, you know, they didn't really try that hard. And so there weren't really any opportunities there. Um, But I, uh, and there was a few, it wasn't until I found out about the American Cinema Editors, that's, uh, you know, ACE, they have an annual event called Edit Fest, and uh, there's one in New York and one in Los Angeles, and so I attended that. And there, it's great because it's just all about editors and editing, and they have these amazing guests, and they're all working editors, or if they're not currently working, they worked in the past and were worked in really big stuff. And so they all go, and there's tons of panels, and there's a lot of you know. Uh, drinks and lunches where you can just kind of hang out and network and meet people and so um i attended that and um i just tried to meet and meet some of the editors whose work that i really liked or people who i just felt like were accessible in some way 
And so I reached out to uh, this guy by the name of um, uh, Jim Haygood. He's edited a lot of David Fincher's early films, and he's edited a lot of other Hollywood blockbusters since then. And we also happen to have a mutual contact. So I kind of, you know, in introduced myself at one point and said who I was. And by the way, do you know Tony? And he's like, oh, my God, Tony. Yeah, I know Tony. And then we just started chatting, and I told him about, you know, the films, a couple of little projects I'd worked on that had been to, Sundance and you know and if he was you know opened up you know having lunch one day and he said yes we connected on Facebook and went over to his commercial editing house and uh, had lunch with him at the owners of that place and they were interested in you know the work that I had done and so I did not go there to edit but they did hire me to uh, be the assistant editor on a bunch of commercials and then that sort of so once you get to that level right a lot of feature directors do commercials or, or vice versa. And so now you're in, I guess what I'll call a target rich environment. Then you've got a bunch of working pros that you're surrounded by. And so um, they did a lot of in, they did a lot of small budget feature work as well over there. And so there was a director that they had worked with quite extensively on the commercial side who was shooting a lower budget feature and uh, they needed, uh, they had an editor hired for that, but they needed uh, the assistant editor. So they asked me to help out on that. And then um, that was basically the entree into the union work. And then when I saw who else was involved with the film, it was all people that were really, you know, very experienced editors in Hollywood. And the relationships that I made on that film kind of opened up working on a bunch of other films thereafter. And so that ultimately culminated with much stuff for Blumhouse and New Line and um, Paramount and you know so uh, one of the, the biggest film thus far was uh, Transformers: The Last Night. So I kind of I've run the whole gamut from the hundred thousand dollar film to the two hundred plus million dollar film. So going back to your first uh, independent features, what? What was it like getting those gigs? Did you have any previous experience or what was it that you counted on to be able to be part of those projects? And did you have faith, like how did you choose those projects to be a part of? Because was it just kind of like, I'm looking to get paid as little as it maybe get some experience and they happen to go to Sundance or did you have faith in the project? And was that part of what inspired you to take part of them? No, so you know, there's a, there's an expression of you know everything. It's it's everything in life is luck and timing, and so for me, I got super lucky because when I had when I did my career change out of IT into film, one of the first things I did when I decided I wanted to be in editorial is I emailed everybody who I knew here in town. They were all just friends, you know, but friends. Many many of them worked in Hollywood, but some didn't. And I said I wanted to get into editorial, and um, one close friend of mine at the time had said, oh, hey, a buddy of mine is finishing. He shot this little in indie film. Uh, he need, needs some help with it. Um, he can't pay you, you know, but you can go over there and learn. And so I spent a, a few days a week um, over at this guy's house. And he basically sort of, you know, he edited this feature, but he basically schooled me on everything I needed to know to be uh, a, a, the, the assistant editor. And so it was really it's little mini film school as as, as it relates to post. Um, and so that was great. And then the next gig after that, it just so the guy that edited that um, had been 
had been looking for work and then he was asked to edit this he it was asked to edit um a feature a little feature called bedrooms and so he got hired to edit that so he brought me on to assist with him and then the same group of people that had made bedrooms were making a couple of other films so then i stayed on with them to edit those and then there's a whole bunch of filmmaking post-production going on in one little office suite space area and that's then where um the people the filmmakers i was working with did philly brown and then that's another director and editor was in the next room over working on the sessions and so basically i just was lucky enough that uh, the first guy that I ever worked with got hired to work on a project. And then once there, there was enough projects all going on in that same space that I got to work on a bunch more. Um, so I really didn't have to, the only one I really had to go looking for was that very first one, which was through email. And then, um, uh, but it became the bigger challenge was when I was done with those, it was how do I get into the union side of it? And I guess there, I just get lucky because the two films that I had worked on got into Sundance and that was that was a big enough thing to talk about that you know just again like went to that ace event like it was really just a string of putting yourself in you know by accident on purpose putting yourself into the right places and at the right time but I do think that's the key thing right is you've got to put yourself into the right places you're not gonna sit at home behind your computer screen browsing job posts at mandy.com to find something big you know you've got to put yourself into the place where those people are you know it's sort of like there's an expression make sure that you're the make sure you're not the smartest guy in the room you know so you want to surround yourself with people that are way more experienced and smarter than you because you can then learn and tap into their experience and so that's what i had to do was where do how do i find those people and so i went out of my way to find them and uh, and it just kind of kept going from there. There's a lot of networking that you mentioned, and you're very big on kind of pushing everyone to network. So what are your some of your key ad advice for when networking? Uh, what would you recommend people that maybe feel not so sure or that aren't, aren't really confident in approaching people? What, what are kind of like the main things you do to make sure your networking is successful? I, I think it's a it's it depends upon what level that you are right I mean if you're still looking for those breakthroughs so as far as for me I consider a, the career breakthrough is when you get onto union films when you're working on studio shows and it, it doesn't need to be a 200 million dollar film but when you know one where you, there's a studio that's behind it whether it's five million dollar budget or ten whatever um, and so there's a whole lot of people that depending on what they do they've just worked a lot of indie films or short films and they feel like they've they've checked the box on the experience that they've worked on 24 short films and they're more than qualified now to go edit the next transformers film and that's just not true i mean you don't you know you just it, it just doesn't work that way the the industry also will look at what you've done and just kind of laugh at you because you know they've got a whole talent pool that's worked on amazing projects and won Oscars and so who are you to work on you know three in indie films that no one has ever seen or 42 shorts and so going back to your question I think it's twofold number one I think you have to 
take a really honest, humble assessment of your skills and what you need to be successful in the adult pool versus the kiddie pool, you know, that you're swimming in. And then it's networking with the right people, you know, surrounding yourself with people that are in a position to offer you either really solid advice or even offer you the ability to collaborate. Um, and so whether that's attending events, you know, through something like the Editors Guild or American Cinema Editors or even going online, you know, I mean, at this point, too, you know, there's a lot of people that are on Twitter, you know, and there's no reason. I mean, I've met a lot of really great friends and a lot, a lot, a lot of them editors first on Twitter uh, and they're still up there. So if you've got questions about editing or directing, whatever, those people are up there and you can, you know, start the dialogues. But I think the biggest thing is you have to get rid of the I'm too shy, I'm an introvert. You just, I mean, whether you are, or you aren't, that doesn't matter, right? You know, you, you don't want your tombstone to read. I could have been so much more if I had just gotten out of my shell. I mean, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. And a lot of successful people, they're not extroverts. You know, they just know when they got to do certain things, you know, when they have to be outgoing and when they don't need to be. And so um, I think it's just putting your fears aside and realize that everybody's a normal person. And if you run into somebody who treats you poorly, then that's good because you know that's not the person you want to work with anyway. But I would say of all the, at the, I'd say almost everybody who I've met on the films I've worked on, they've all been nice. You know, there's been nobody that was, you know, that was awful. Um, but it also depends. I mean, there's people that do have awful experiences. And I think it, when you go into any environment and work with people, what you bring in, uh, in, what you bring in with you impacts how people relate to you. So, you know, if you come in with, with an attitude or, you know, about doing or not doing certain things, you know, that usually doesn't work out. Um, but anyway, so. So throughout your career, um, what have some setbacks you have experienced and what have been the lessons that came out of it or maybe opportunities that were born out of it? I think the set the setbacks are, I'm trying to think of it, of a, I think a big setback is just, you know, if like a big, a big setback is COVID. I mean, you know, 2020, there was nothing, whatever was filming came to an end and no, nothing new was filming. And so therefore, you know, um, how do you keep working? Now, people who are super duper connected and have been in the industry for a long time, they just know so many people at the high level that they will probably continue working in some fashion. Uh, not everybody is going to be that person. You know I mean? If, you know, if, you're competing with someone who's been editing for 40 years on, well, maybe 40 is too much, but 30 years on big budget films, and you're coming in with three years of ed editing experience on indies, you just don't have that same network of people. So, um, so the big step back then is just how do you find that work and how do you get by and what system did you put in place in your own life to be able to, to survive those down times? And, um, I mean, that's always been a thing, right? You're always supposed to have your emergency fund and whatnot. But I think with COVID, that sort of changed the face of a lot of businesses, period. Uh, but I would say that's probably the biggest setback because, you know, if there's no work, if there is not, if nothing is shooting, you have nothing to put into post 
and then what is shooting how many you know what is your breadth and scope of a network to get you other work you talk about a lot about your network and how important it is so how do you nurture that network because it's not just about making the connections one time and then you know never <laughs> going back um so what is it that you do to really nurture and make sure that network is strong so that new opportunities can come from it yeah it's a, it's a great question because i think that's the biggest challenge and i think i'd love to hear more about that from other people um but i know you know i've got a core group of people who i've worked with a lot or i'm just close to and so we were just so regularly texting or emailing or we'll hang out so you you certainly have that but it's all a, a numbers game at the end of the day, right? I mean, if you've got a tight group of five people and all five of them are looking for work, you know, then you know, that's that's it, right? That's your whole population of people that you can perhaps look for other work with. But so you want to obviously have a much larger network. You want to keep meeting people of in a position that can hire you. So therefore, um, the keep the meet you first there's the meeting of those people and then maintaining that and ultimately the maintenance of it is either the easiest thing is just to shoot off an email from time to, to time you know say hey what's up how are you just want to check in or hey i was reading on facebook you're working on xyz that's cool or hey i'm going to start this this project soon and hope all, all is well so at the very least you know everyone's checking in and you're showing a genuine interest in that person. Um, I try to do that in person as much as I can, you know, coffees, you know, drinks or, or whatnot. But, you know, but there's definitely, uh, but it's also a huge time commitment. So I tend to do those with people who I'm closer with, um, even if it's outside of those, you know, five or 10. Uh, but then otherwise, it's just you have to keep in touch. And I think the hardest thing is you have to track it, right? Because you know, you might realize you've got an address book of 100 people, right? Let's just say, you know, if your particular area, we'll just say is editing, you might have an, a contact list of 100 people that are just within editorial that you could, that, that you've met. But how many of them have you talked to in the last three months, six months, or even 12 or 24 months? And then also, it's not just looking, looking for ed editing work with other people editors is limiting. So you really need to be also be cultivating relationships with directors, producers, head of post departments at studios, and also realizing that you, you and everybody else is or does that as well. Uh, so it's really, and then you have to stay in touch and how do you build your own little system for navigating that. Um, it's coincidentally, I'm working on something right now uh, to help automate that, but I do know there's uh, someone by the name of uh, Zach Arnold. So there's a guy who I met at EdFest years ago, who I've stayed in touch with, a great guy. So Zach's done, he's really involved a lot with healthy living and ed editorial and whatnot, but he's got this, um, he's got a networking kind of career-oriented course that he's taught and it's really awesome like he's got this whole system in place where he's got these google spreadsheets and he tracks everybody who he's ever met you know or or who he wants to work with and so he puts them in there their contact info what area of the business that they work in how well he knows them um and then how often he's spoken with them and so his way of keeping track of that he just every day he diligently goes in and looks at that and says, okay, who, who, who have I, you know, where is ev everything here? And it's not, 
it's not cold though. Like it's not like he's just doing this and it's numerics, right? He's actually he's he knows, you know, he's met those people, you know, or wants to get to know uh, them better. And it's simply just a reminder for him of, you know, who did he speak to last? I mean, you know, we all have those friends that we think are good friends, but we haven't talked to them in a really long time. And so the only way we're gonna know is to keep track of it. But Zach's has so far been the only system I've seen where it was like a really cool set of Google Docs that was just really smartly integrated and um and I think that's ultimately it. How do you keep track of keeping track of people? Uh, that's a really interesting notion. Like keep making a conscious effort of keeping track of who you talk to because I feel like it's not something we're used to. We kind of just like, oh yeah, I'll talk to whatever or I'll do and we don't actually make a conscious effort of knowing when we talk to people that we consider, you know, friends or or that we care to know more about other than maybe our, our immediate family. Right. And and I think the key thing too is you can't just in, never, ever, 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 ever send out a general form type of an email. You know, like, hi, it's me. I'm just checking in with everybody. You know, hope all has been well. You, you got to personalize them all, right? I mean, you know, think about it. You know, people like human interaction and they want to you know people appreciate when you think about them you know uh so therefore you know that's why you know, i'd mentioned if you're going to email somebody or text somebody or whatever you know you're keeping track you you're genuinely keeping track of what they're up to because you genuinely care and you you know you care about them as people otherwise you wouldn't be in touch and you care about what, what they're working on and so any email that you do draft you know it's like hey you know how are you so you're working on this or that i mean a, a friend of mine edited one of the he that mandalorian episode he had ed edited that final one and it was amazing and right afterwards i think it was late here but i texted him i was like oh my god dude that was awesome and he was super excited to hear from me and and i hadn't talked to him in, in a while but you know but it was great it was you know it was a good way to reconnect but um but yeah i think the key thing is always be personable and the other thing too is for me i would never reach out to people that I didn't have a connection with. So like if I met somebody and for whatever reason we didn't gel, I wouldn't try to stay in contact with them. Like if, you know, there's one thing if you get you get along great or you're just like, okay, you know, you're kind of cool, but you know, it's luke lukewarm. Other people who you just like, I just don't care for that person. I think you should only ever try to cultivate the relationships of people that you that you enjoyed being around or something about that interaction. Because otherwise it's, you know, you just can't be genuine and honest and people can see see through that pretty quickly. So do you have any advice on how to start or approach those conversations to attempt to have the best possible interactions, especially, you know, when you're networking, maybe in an event um, through the guild or something like that, there's so many people and you're meeting so many people, especially, and especially if you're coming in as a, maybe a newcomer, you, you know, people don't know who you are. So how can you have those good conversations that can lead to creating and cultivating good friendships or good contacts and make sure you you are memorable in the sense that then when you email the other person, they're like, oh, who is this person that's emailing me? Like, you know, that they kind of remember who you are. I think it's, it's a few things. Like I know I mentioned earlier about it's really important to get to know the industry and the people that are in it. Uh, 
so if you're specifically, well, again, we'll just use editing as the example. It could be any of the other disciplines. But um, so if you go to a networking event with editors, you know, it really behooves you to know who a lot of these people are in advance. I mean, you know, if you went to, um, you know, if you went to an ed editing event that Michael Kahn was going to be at, who's edited all Spielberg's films, and you don't know what he looks like or your 22 and you've never seen any movie older than uh, what whatever he did last right you know you might not realize oh you you know you edited this or that you know and so the last thing worst thing you can do is meet somebody don't realize who that person is everybody's ego is different as well you know and so like some people some ed editors you meet won't care but then some will be like okay it's more like so you want to work in this industry but yet you don't know who these longtime ed editors are you know and that just to me how i would associate that would be that you're uh you just didn't put the the work in you know like you don't think it's important to know who the experienced people are in the industry so i think for sure you'd want to you want to go into things knowing who they are and what their background is and then, um, you know, I just think you say, you know, and that's always a good leader. Like, hey, um, um, hey, I really, you know, like that movie that you would cut, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, chances are they'll be like, oh, thank you, you know, but they'll be, you know, well, they'll be kind of shy about it. And then you kind of know if you should say more or not. And then you kind of move on to some other topic. But if you can, having a mutual connection is good as well. So if you look at what that person has worked on, if you happen to have a, a mutual friend, that's always a great con conversation starter. And that's also why people keep working because somebody has a referral for somebody or they can say, oh, what was it like to work with Savvy? And they're like, oh, Savvy was great. So then that person, the other person will reach out to you because you got a good uh, recommendation from somebody else. Um, so a mutual acquaintance being familiar with who that person is, what they've worked on. Um, and, you know, if there's something you can, again, it kind of, if you can learn a little bit something about them personally, you know, like if it's, it's hard to know, but if somebody had a specific hobby, you know, that you knew about, you know, and you happen to have the same interest in that, you know, you could bring, bring it up. I think at the end of the day, people, they don't just, they don't want to just be grilled for what they've done and for work stuff you know they appreciate if you can just be a normal person and talk about normal stuff uh not politics although some people enjoy <laughs> that but, um, yeah it's all just about finding a commonality you know yeah that thing that can spark the connection it's a lot like dating if you think about it like you have to be able to find that spark <laughs> Yeah, you know, one one good thing, I can't say it's going to work for every editor, but a lot of editors enjoy uh, cocktail hours and ha happy hours. So, you know, uh, uh, knowing, you know, scotches is never a bad thing. Uh, you'd be surprised at the number of editors you can get into a lengthy conversation with uh, about scotch. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> That's a good tip. I'm more of a wine person than a scotch person, but it's oh, a good wine tip. Is nice, but yeah, but alcohol is not always a bad conversation starter but you want but you definitely want to know the people that don't drink so you feel that out first <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so going back to that um change from 
you know, independent small films to studio films, what was your very first studio project? And what was it like? Do you have any sort of like culture shock or was it a big shift going from something that was independent to something that was studio? Well, the first union one that I worked on through that commercial house, that was, I mean, it was not a studio film per se. It was just a union film. I think the first studio film was Ouija. And that was Blumhouse. You know, not to say Blumhouse is, you know, like going to the Universal lot, but, you know, but they are a, you know, they're a, they're a, they're a major studio per se now. Um, but no, but it was, you know, you just go into it and you realize there's a whole chain of command of people that are all responsible for the success of that film. So, um, you know, there tends to be more structure around that and more business around it. Um, uh, so that was really the case. It's like you realize that it's not just a couple of people before that were in charge willy nilly, but you know, you've got to answer to the person at the top and then the person below them and then that person. And there's definitely, it's more, there's more of, um, I guess business side to it. You get much more tuned into the business side of it because there's audience test screenings and those have significant outcomes on what happens with the rest of post and what's going to happen with that film. Um, and then you end up just getting other people involved, um, even from other studios based upon how the co-production agreements might work. So that was, that was the beginning of understanding that with Blumhouse. And then after that, it, but then it varies. Like, I mean, you know, there was, you know, sometimes there's a lot of studio involvement. Sometimes there isn't, um, and in some cases, something like Transformers, you know, Michael Bay, he's pretty much in charge. So he gets to run the ship whatever way he wants. So it's very little feedback from the uh, studio. Um, other films, like I worked on The Grudge, and you know, Lionsgate was much more involved with it than previous films that I've worked on. So You do a lot of horror um, work. Was that intentional starting out or something that kind of just like you got the grudge and then it kind of just like went from there and it happened? No, it was just by accident. You know, it's sort of like, you know, it's just, you know, when he, you know, when somebody comes to you and has a job offer and you like to work with that person or you like the film and you're like, sure, I'll do it. And then whether it's what whatever genre it is, Hollywood makes a lot of horror films, you know, whether they're in independent or studio based. And so there's just a lot of that work out there. Um, so there's more of it that comes that passes under your that passes over your radar because of that. So so that's why I mean, and I did finally come to grit, come to terms with the fact that I used to watch a lot of horror films in my 20s. And so and as I got older, I kind of grew out of it. Um, especially because you know went from just kind of you know 80s fun horror flicks to like all this weird tor torture porn stuff or you know it's just like it's too real life like if i want to see horrible things happen to people i'll just search it out on youtube somewhere or look at terrorist bombings and i don't have any interest in that either but that to me is where that torture porn sort of sub subgenre went but it's kind of we've pulled back from that or it's less popular than it used to be. And so I realized, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of horror films when I was younger. And so I sort of already knew just intrinsically what I liked and didn't like about that genre. And so I've come just to terms with the fact that, you know, it's it's fun to work in. They have their own set of ch challenges. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, though, any good movie, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a drama or it's an action flick. You know, if you like the, the team of people and you, you like what the uh, story is, it's cool to work on.
any big lessons you've had in your journey that you think have been transformational in how you do your work or how you approach finding new work? Um, there's a couple questions in there, but so the, but how you do your work, I would just say the best thing is to always keep your ears and eyes open and keep your ego in check. Because chances are you're working with people that have done it longer than you or have had more success at it than you. And so therefore there's that learning opportunity. So I think, you know, keeping your own ego in check, but knowing there's being confident and there's being a know-it-all. And so I think you you should always be confident, but you need to know when just to to listen and, you know, assimilate that with what you need to be doing next in some cases too you just need to do what they ask you to do whether you fully understand it or agree with it and also acknowledging the fact that it's probably coming from a place of having more experience and success at it um and i think the second part of that was related to networking or something or finding work yeah um when i would say it's just um I think when it comes to finding work, you just, you've got to be a hundred percent committed to it. You know, like you gotta, you gotta put yourself, you gotta start to network with the right places. Um, and you gotta actively do it. You gotta come out of your comfort zone and, you know, because the more you can do that and feel comfortable with it, then the more opportunities that you're going to have. And a lot of times opportunities don't come from where you expect it to, but they come out of that work still in some way. Um, I mean, even me, I mean, I could do a lot more on the networking side than I do, but, um, you know, but I at least you know, have a pretty good grasp on what needs to be done. So I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, when you talk to somebody who's trying to get some breakthrough in their career or a project or meeting new people and a month later, they don't have any new info for you, whatever they're doing is not working. Chances are they're not doing the work at all or what they're doing isn't working, or they've spent three out of 30 days doing it. Um, but at this point, you know, we have so much access to information and to technology that ties people together. Nobody has any excuse to not be advancing their career in some way, you know, in uh, one, two, three, four, five, six months. It shouldn't be the same old story that you heard last year doesn't make any of those choices that have to be made easy. You know, there's a lot of talk about, do you really need to live in Los Angeles or not? To me, those questions are avoiding the inevitable truth, right? I mean, it's a big deal to up and move, you know? It doesn't matter whether you live in Pennsylvania going to Los Angeles or another country. Uh, but people are like, oh, I don't want to move, and I don't know if I'm going to know all the right people, and it's going to cost money, and this and that. But, you know, um, what are you committed to? You know, how passionate are you of doing that work? And like I said before, you want to make sure that you're surrounded by the smartest people. And the best way to do that is go to L.A. and learn everything you can learn, network with all of those people, and become one of those really smart people. Maybe then you can move wherever else you want and work remotely in some fashion. But I think until you have that base, um, not committing to going where the action is, is simply another excuse to be able to pull out when somebody asks you, oh, how are things going? And you're like, oh, I don't want to have to move. And so, you know, 
then the people, oh, it, it's okay because we read articles to say that you don't have to now. And uh, so, I don't know. Those are some thoughts. Yeah, it's definitely not. It's definitely complicated though because, I mean, if you're inside the U.S. East, is here but for those of us that are not in the u.s the u.s is not very kind to letting people inside the country yeah. that aren't born there so it's not as like if it were as simple as you know you up and move like it is to some other countries that'd be there <laughs> but you know um you have a lot of migration laws that don't make it so easy no it's true you're right no i, I absolutely and you know but that that's i'm glad you brought it up because that's the other thing is that everyone's going to have a different set of challenges right there's so many some people who just happen to come from wealthy families that don't have to worry about how long it takes to find a job because they're supported in some way um you know or some people you know they they're trying to come in from a different country or somebody you know whatever everyone has some obstacle and some might be harder to get around than others but everybody's got them in some fashion and so i think it's just about what needs to happen to overcome that and the, the other thing too which and you would know more more than me but in the united states there's no there's no film grants they're not giving money away for people to make films whereas in europe it seems to me like every other country in the entire world there's programs that support the arts and filmmakers and i'm not saying that people are getting rich off of that but you know um I think that's a great asset to people working in Europe is that depending where you live or come from, you have an opportunity to get some money to help make your film. Whereas here, you have to go find a rich de uh, dentist somewhere or use your own life <laughs> savings for it. And, you know, and I think Europeans don't realize how valuable that is when you don't have it. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, what there was an expression. Uh, if it was easy, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. So, um, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So, lastly, I wanted to talk about um, your own projects. You're now moving. You've created a production company, and you're working on a. You've made a feature film, and you're working on a second one. Um, so, what is what's it like moving from you know the editor seat to hitting your own projects and having to put everything into mo motion for those to happen. How was that shift like? Everything is sort of a, a, a do-over, right? Whenever you switch what you're doing to something else, you have to sort of start all over again because people know you as a editor or as the assistant editor, and then suddenly you want to write something or produce something well they don't know you as that and you might have some su success in the other work you had done under that other title but that doesn't translate into what you're trying to do next and so you know you really just you take what you've learned from those experiences and you and you obviously have a network of people that you can tap into but you really do just have to sort of start from ground zero and so I know with uh, the feature that my business partner and I made a horror film called 11th Hour Cleaning. And we had to, you know, that came out of, you know, that came at the tail end of when I was fin finishing up with Transformers. And, um, and that we had, you know, we wrote the script, we had to raise that money. Um, you know, and it was all things that we, you know, raising money is a whole other beast. Like if, if you can't, if you can't go to a party and introduce yourself and network, chances are you will never be able to raise any money 
for any project you have. So hopefully you get lucky and studios just buy it from you and throw money at it. But so raising money was a whole new uh, new experience for us. Um, and just that whole project, because the budget was so small, took a lot longer to get done. And it's good. It's, you know, there's areas that we look at and be like, wow, I wish we'd had more money, more time to work on it. But you also have to just appreciate and, uh, what you did accomplish. And then, so with the pandemic, with nothing happening in post, uh, really, you know, Ty and I just started writing more and looking to be more in the the driver's seat you know editing is awesome but you're really beholden to everybody else making films um and so therefore then what can you do to put yourself into the position of being that person making that film it's no it's certainly not any easier i mean none of the jobs in in hollywood are but we um, have started to put a lot of work into knowing what the ind industry is and the people in it the companies in it what kind of distribution companies do what, what kind of co-production companies fund what, what kind of people are involved with them. So I've just been working really hard to try to get a John Wick style uh, action film made. And we also met a lot of people this past year to acquire some intellectual property and develop those into features and ep episodic. And we have to do it with very little money because, you know, we're not a studio and, you know, so it's all just challenges, you know, how do you accomplish your dreams or your goals with having the resources you have, whether that those resources are big or small. But I say none of it would have happened if we didn't keep our eyes and ears open for people that we met along the way. Um, we still have a whole lot more uh, things to overcome to get some of these films made. But every, every day there's a new set of information that comes in that helps us further refine what we should be doing uh, or how to get something in the right hands of somebody in a position to help you get it made. Any last comments about, you know, some of those challenges make in making your own film that you've been able to overcome and what you learned from them? If you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is you have to make, you have to, it's like, you have to make a movie, right? Making a movie is practice. You know, what, whatever thing you want to get good at, you have to keep practicing. But you have to be able to also really, there's practicing just to kind of get to the place where you feel better about your skills. But then there's getting to the point where you have something that is actually um, a viable, sellable product, right? And um, if you want to succeed on the Hollywood side of it, those companies are looking for material that has to be of a certain quality. We've seen plenty of really bad films that studios make, but there's a whole lot of independent films that are really awful that, you know, you'll find on streaming net networks and, you know, but they're, they don't get paid very much money for those films. They might get picked up, but they're paid a few thousand dollars, if anything. And that filmmaker put tens of thousands into making that film, if not more. So I think the most important thing is that you have to keep, you got to do it better. You know, you always have to constantly be doing it better than the, the last time you did it. And you get to look at other people's films. You can't necessarily compare yourself, but you've got to look at what made a certain film good. You know, if somebody bought that film, what was it about that film that's better than my film, especially if it's the same genre? Um, so, but I think it's, and I think too, you inevitably, depending on what your goal is, you have to understand the business side of Hollywood and how 
why films get made, why films don't get made, what's really most important? Is it really having a good script or is it having a particular uh, certain cast? But what cast really matters? You know, not every movie is going to have Tom and Cruise in it, but you can't also have a no-name actor either. Uh, and are there other players involved, you know, producers and, and EPs that are successful with getting films made? Um, but there's a whole lot of business side to it that filmmakers either don't have the access to learning about or don't want to because it's numbers, you know, it's numbers and research and they're an artist, not a business person. But, you know, at the end of the day, everything in life is ultimately comes down to running a for-profit business. And so you have to have some basis of understanding of how that business operates to know how you can best succeed in it. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all those nuggets of wisdom with us. Um, I very much look forward to seeing your future projects, especially that feature you're working on with your partner. So we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Savvy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found Eric's advice as useful as I did. Join us again next month on another Real Talk Secrets to Success to learn all the top tips from industry insiders. Until next time.